Good morning, everyone. It's, it is good to be together. Glad that we can worship together and listen to Scripture in community. We're continuing our series on the covenant affirmations, and these are the six core beliefs and values that guide our life together in the covenant denomination. Last week, I spoke about the necessity of new birth, and we explored this vision of the, the possibility of a life that is being renewed as we have the capacity to become formed as sons and daughters of God, that there are new possibilities for us of a, a life marked by holiness, a life marked by love. And today we're continuing uh, with this theme by looking at the affirmation, a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. I think this is a really important follow-up to last week's conversation, because what I want to explore with you is this question of how we become new creations. How are we formed in new ways, new patterns of living? This is dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The verse I want to begin with in the context of Galatians 15 comes to us in verse 17, where where Paul names, I think, a very common struggle for many of us, where he says this, for the sinful nature does what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. I underline that phrase as a starting point for us today. Can anyone relate to that frustration where you do not do what you want? The NLT uh, paraphrases it this way, you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Anybody fail to live into their good intentions this week? I feel like this every time I drive into my garage, actually. There's all kinds of signs and symbols of me not doing what I want to do, of failing to live up to my good intentions. There's the exercise equipment on the wall that hasn't been pulled out in a while. There are the materials from the home improvement projects that are yet to be completed, the clutter that I promised to get rid of and take to goodwill, You do not do what you want. I stand with you in that frustration in our humanity, in that conflict between our human nature and our desire to live into this new nature, this new creation. In some ways, when we read Galatians 5, 20 to 23, it can feel like a trip into the garage of our souls. We have this list of all these virtues of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control, and it perhaps speaks to a longing that we have and yet also names uh, a frustration that we struggle to bear those fruits in our lives, that we do not do what we want. What I'd like to do today is explore how we can address that conflict in our hearts, how we might live into a life where we can begin to start to see these fruits of the Spirit emerge in our hearts and minds and souls. The early covenanters realized that any capacity we had to grow spiritually, to do ministry, to make an impact in this world required a conscious dependent on the Holy Spirit. And I want to proclaim some good news again to us today that we have the gifts of the Spirit of God at hand. 
that God has not left us alone to our own devices. He has not left us in our flesh and our human nature to try and dig ourselves out of these struggles by sheer effort and willpower alone, but he has given us the Holy Spirit. I want to read this passage from John 14, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples who are facing an anxious situation. They have heard that Jesus is about to depart He has spoken about his ensuing death on the cross, and you can understand their anxiety as they step on into this new horizon in ministry, wondering if they're up to the task. And Jesus speaks this word of hope, which I want to speak over you today. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Last week we spoke about this image of becoming sons and daughters of God. And I want to lift up this hope that we are not left as orphans. In our desire to grow up in Christ, God has sent his spirit to be with us forever. To be with us, to be in us to guide us in our journey of growth. In my study this week, I was reminded again of the, the depth of hope that we have in the Holy Spirit, the vast, expansive role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. Janet, you spoke to this in your prayer today. You named the different ways that the Spirit guides us through wisdom, through guidance, through all kinds of things. This is just a short list, not even a comprehensive list, of all the functions of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We see that the Spirit renews us. The Spirit teaches us. The Spirit is here to guide and direct our paths, to convict us of sin so that we can be set free. The the Spirit gathers, unifies, and reconciles community. The Spirit forms us intercedes, groans, prays on our behalf. The Spirit comforts, empowers ministry, creates, recreates us. This is a gift, friend, that is given to us for all the things we need to live life in the kingdom of God. The challenge I want to explore with you today is how can we open that gift and receive and use the gift of the Holy Spirit? How can we live as the Covenanters have called us to, to live with a conscious dependence on that Holy Spirit? Or to use Paul's language in our text, how can we keep in step with the Spirit? Since you live with the Spirit, now keep in step with the Spirit. This is the text I want to explore with you for a few moments this morning. What does it mean for us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Now, there's a a few things I I notice in our text in the context surrounding Galatians 5 that I think guide our answer to this question, how we keep in step with the Spirit. And there's a a few parts to this. I think one of the ways that we keep in step with the Spirit is by having proper beliefs or ideas or narratives about who the Spirit is and how change can happen. It actually begins often with our thinking you know, our beliefs shape and guide the trajectory of our lives. They, they shape our behavior. 
If I have a particular vision of what the good life is, I'm going to then live in that direction. If I believe that life is good and I will find security and hope if I can accumulate a lot of wealth, then that will direct my actions. That's what I will live for. That's what I will get up trying to achieve. Our beliefs about what makes a good life drives behavior. On the flip side, if I have some unhealthy beliefs, they may trip up the trajectory of my life. If I believe, for example, that I'm never going to amount to much, or that change isn't possible at all. It has the potential to become like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Our beliefs shape and guide our behaviors. And what I notice in our text is that all around Galatians 5, Paul is confronting some false beliefs, some false teachings that are taking the Galatians out of step with the Holy Spirit. Out of step with the Holy Spirit, In verse 9 of Galatians 5, Paul uses this metaphor of false teachings being like a little bit of yeast that can take over the whole dough. Like, it's powerful. These teachings have implications for the growth and trajectory of our lives, and there are all kinds of false teachings happening in the Galatian church that are taking them off course, out of step with the Holy Spirit. I want to notice a couple of them in this text. Uh, One of the false beliefs that Paul engages a lot in this book is this idea that change happens by rule-keeping and self-effort alone. This is one of the false beliefs, and, and I want you to notice how this impacts their capacity to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And so we see back in verse 4 of Galatians 5, if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Time and time again, he is confronting these Judaizers, who are, who are called, that's how they're called, they're named in the Galatian community, who are saying that for people to really be saved, they have to keep all the Jewish law to perfection. And what Paul is saying is that that is a, a dead-end belief, that if, if you are living under the idea that you have to change through rule-keeping and self-effort alone, you are cutting yourself off from the grace of God. You are living out of a different source, not the source of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I suspect that most of us would espouse the idea that we need God's grace in order to be forgiven, to live good lives. Many of us have grown up with that gospel message. But experientially, one of the things I've noticed in my life is that there is often a gap between my espoused theology, what I say is true, and my operative theology. Spiritual director Janet Ruffing once used those terms that helped name this for me. She said, we have our espoused theology, what we say, and our operative theology, what our actions actually reveal about what we think is true. And my experience has been is that we often operate as if it is up to us. We believe there is grace, but we find ourselves beating ourselves up whenever we struggle, or we feel as if we are carrying the weight of the responsibility of everything in our lives. We operate as if the Holy Spirit isn't at hand, which reveals, I think, a false operative belief that it is up to us, that there's grace for everybody else, but I should be able to do it through self-effort. That keeps us, friends, out of step with the Holy Spirit. 
Another false belief that I notice Paul addressing is the other extreme. So some people have been so captured by this message of grace that some in the Galatian church were saying, well, therefore, we can just live as if uh, we can live our old life. Immorality doesn't matter. <laughs> I am free and I'm saved by grace, so why go into all the effort of trying to change? Right? I have my ticket for heaven, so let's just live and let live. But Paul confronts this false belief as well. This is also something that keeps us out of step with the Holy Spirit. And he, he reminds us in Galatians 5.21 of this, that those who live like this, and he's describing the fruits of the flesh, this list of vices that we struggle with, those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he, what he means by this is that there are implications and consequences as if we continue to go down a path of immorality. Now, yes, there is grace for us, and we will continue to struggle and battle. Paul continued to struggle and battle. But he confronts this idea that let's, let's just live, let's just give up because we have grace. And, and Paul is saying, you're missing the point. There are things at stake that we miss if, if we just go down this path. We won't inherit or live into the kingdom of God. We won't experience the fullness of, of God's reign in our life, where we can live a life marked by freedom and love and peace and purpose. This has implications. So don't just throw in the towel on this journey. God has more for you. These choices do matter. The last false belief, I think, uh, that Paul confronts in this passage is this frustration that change isn't even possible. I don't know if you ever wrestle with this false belief, but as I named today, we struggle to live into our good intentions. And over time, that can wear us down, and we can wonder, is, is there even possibility for life to be different? And that false belief, I think, can sometimes, again, cause us to get out of step with the Spirit, to, to throw in the towel, and to give up. But Paul speaks a word of power into that false belief, and he reminds these Galatians that because of Christ, there is possibility of change. Now, it is not this instantaneous change. It's not like we are zapped into perfection. <laughs> Paul uses this metaphor of bearing fruit, I think, intentionally, that this is something that is cultivated often slowly over time. We can't force fruit to just grow instantaneously. We can't microwave ourselves into perfection. Right? But as we walk with the Holy Spirit, there is this hope of transformation. And Paul speaks this to those who are feeling frustrated. He says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. What I hear Paul saying is that the power of Christ is more powerful than sin. That we have a, a powerful resource in our battle with the old self. Martin Luther once said, I've probably quoted this before, it's such a powerful quote that I want us to hold on to in our battle, where he says this, our spiritual warfare is with a defeated devil because we are in the company of a conquering Christ. 
Our spiritual warfare is with a defeated devil because we are in the company of a conquering Christ. And Paul wants to just lift this veil of discouragement from the eyes of the Galatians to say, in Christ, there is power over the sin that reigns in our lives. Hold on to this belief that we can live into a life where we bear this different kind of fruit. We are in the company of a conquering Christ. Some of you need to hear that today. Now we need to begin here. We need to begin by naming these beliefs because beliefs drive behavior. If we are to keep in step with the Spirit, we first need a vision for what that journey is like. For us to even begin taking those steps of journeying with the Spirit, we need to have a vision that life can be different as we walk in company with the Holy Spirit. And so we engage some of these false beliefs and hopefully hear again the good news that in Christ there is possibility for us to live into a new kind of life. The next thing I want to speak to in terms of how we keep then in step with the Holy Spirit is to then attend to some of the practices, the the means by which we continue this journey. And so We have these narratives, these beliefs. We have this vision for what life can look like. The question now becomes very practical. How do I then take this journey of transformation? How do I keep in step with the Holy Spirit? There's something really important in the the Greek language here. It's this continuous present tense, which we don't have uh, a real clear parallel in the English language, but some translators would recommend we translate verse 25, sorry, it's not 17, verse 25, keep on continually walking in the Spirit. Keep on continually walking in the Spirit. This implies a regularity of, of keeping company with the Spirit. Now, here's, here's the challenge that I think we struggle with. I think a lot of times we are not keeping on continually walking with the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of times we go for a weekly jog with the Spirit. <laughs> right? We go for a weekly jog with Jesus. Now, as someone who has committed my work to these gatherings on Sunday, I believe in these weekly communal gatherings. We need to gather. We need to worship. We need one another. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I will challenge us in this, friends. If we are to keep on continually walking in the Spirit, we cannot simply rely on a one-hour worship service on Sunday. They are vital, but they are not enough. To keep on continually walking with the Spirit, we need to ask these bigger questions about what are those spiritual rhythms and practices that get us in touch with God regularly? I was thinking about the metaphor of making a good cup of tea. I don't know if there's any tea drinkers in the room here. But for mere water to be transformed into this flavorful drink, it needs, we need to allow the tea to steep in the water. And I think that's actually a very powerful metaphor of transformation. For us to be transformed from the works of the flesh to the works of the Holy Spirit, we need to allow the Spirit to steep in our hearts and minds and souls. And I think part of the the struggle that we face is that we're just like dropping the tea bag in and pulling it right out. (laughs) 
and we're not allowing it to just steep for long periods of time. And, and actually, if we are going to extend the metaphor, we often find ourselves steeping in other narratives and other influences throughout the week that is transforming us in, in different ways, counter-transforming us in negative ways. And so the question I pose to us is, what, what are those practices that help us keep on continually walking with the Spirit? How can we steep in the Spirit? This implies some rhythms of, of daily prayer. It's some rhythms of community where we're gathered in smaller settings. It's probably specific to you. You might ask those questions. What help you stay in touch with the Spirit? We connect with God in different ways. But I do challenge us to explore those ways that we cannot just have a weekly jog with Jesus, but that we're continually keeping in step with God throughout the day, throughout the hour. And the last thing, I, and I want to end with this, is we keep in step with the Spirit in the context of spiritual friendships or relationships. That we do not do this alone. We are not Lone Ranger Christians. And so Paul, right after our passage in Galatians 6, goes on to say this, and we recall that in the original Bible there were no chapter differentials, so this is just a continuous stream of argument here. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's interesting, isn't it, that right after Paul speaks about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, he proceeds to talk about the need for us to do this in community, to restore one another, to carry one another's burdens. For those of you who have ever attempted to get in shape, you could probably attest to the fact that it's a lot easier when you do it with somebody else, right? The thing that gets me moving, moving when I am feeling lazy at the end of the day is the sad eyes of my golden retriever, right? That's my, my accountability partner, although I haven't been as, as good as I used to be. She's gained a few pounds this year. But the, the sad gaze of the golden retriever helps me get up and get walking, helps me get my steps in, right? Those of you who have had success in, in working out will probably attest to the fact that it's helpful if someone else is going to get up with you at 6 a.m. in the morning to keep you moving in that direction. And that applies to the spiritual journey. Who are those people that walk with us, that spur us on, that encourage us, that we are accountable to in the spiritual walk? And this is my challenge to us as we continue to try and rebuild these rhythms of community after a couple of years of disruption. It could be very easy for us to just drift, drift away into isolation. It's hard enough to keep these rhythms of spirituality together in the best of times, but we've had these forces for two years that have pulled us away, and, and some of us have had to for health reasons. I'm not uh, speaking to that, but I do want to challenge those of us who find ourselves maybe just struggling to get back into community that we do need this. We do need one another. We can't do Zoom forever. <laughs> it is a great tool. Who are those people that are walking alongside you on the spiritual journey? Now, Paul, I think, clarifies what these spiritual friendships look like in our text. 
And I, I want to hold out a couple of words in this text, this word gentleness, but also this word restore. And it implies a, a, a spiritual type of relationship that balances both grace and truth. Paul speaks to this elsewhere in his letters, that we are to be people of grace and truth. And we both need people, and sometimes we are called to be those people who come alongside those to do this restorative work. And Paul says to do this humbly, to do it gently, that we need to come alongside people in a spirit of humility, recognizing that we all need grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, said that we all need a confessor to confess our sins out loud to. But he says we need to find people who are humble, who will receive your confession and humility. Isn't it interesting? I don't know what your experience is like, but isn't it interesting that it seems easy at times to confess our sins to the God of the universe, but the thought of confessing our sins to another person is, like, terrifying? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I think that's why it, it's powerful to be seen in community because there's something about those human relationships where we can let other people into the garage of our souls, not just the tidied-up places where we welcome people in, into the recesses of our souls where we can go that last 10% that we withhold— we need that, and we need to find people who will receive us in gentleness. But we also need to be people and to find people who are committed to the work of restoration. I've been thinking about this word a lot lately, that this is a big word. The word restoration implies like a deeper healing work. When I go to the doctor, sometimes the doctor, if they are a good doctor, will not withhold hard truths, hard news. I don't want a doctor who withholds a cancer diagnosis because he doesn't want to hurt my feelings. Right? I want someone that will be able to tell me the truth so that I can begin the hard work of healing. And this word restoration suggests that we have to have spiritual friendships where we invite people into this harder restorative work. We need gentleness. We need restoration. We need compassion and loving confrontation. Do you have people like that in your lives? Are you called to be that person to someone? We keep in step with the Spirit in a relational context. Friends, I, I want to leave you with hope today. We all struggle with not doing what we want to do. We struggle to live up to our good intentions. You're in good company, friends. And this journey of growth is sometimes a slow process, the slow cultivation of fruit in our lives. And sometimes that work, that, that growth is actually happening when things look dormant, when things don't seem to be growing. The poet Rumi says that don't think the garden loses its ecstasy in winter. The roots are down there riotous. <laughs> There's things happening. Sometimes you might feel like you're in a season where there isn't a lot of fruitfulness. Maybe God is doing some deep work down in the roots. But can we trust that over time, as we keep on continually walking with the Spirit, that He will begin to grow these fruits of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. It is possible. The key, friends, is that it is the Spirit that grows those things. We are simply called to cultivate the soil 
place ourselves before God, prune those things so that the Son of God can shine on the barren branches and do that together in community so that we can bear good fruit. This has implications for us that we might live a life of peace and joy. It also has implications for our world. These are not just personal fruits, but this is how God wants to transform this world as we live with goodness and kindness and justice and peace in our broken world. Friends, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Just God, I, I pray that you would meet us in our frustrations today and we just all humbly stand uh, equally at the foot of your cross today, acknowledging our need for your transformative work in our lives. We struggle to live into our good intentions. Lord, as we abide in you, I pray that we might bear good fruit in our lives. Would you have your way among us, continue to build this community uh, that we might bear good fruit for your kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we have some time to respond to abide in the Spirit who is in our midst.